This is Couch and Coffee Table. I'm Michael Perry. This week we finish our Power Records slash Sci-Fi Month. For this week we have Space 1999. Space 1999 is a British science fiction television program that ran for two, se two seasons from 1975 to 1977. In the opening episode, set in the year 1999, Nuclear waste stored on the moon's far side explodes, knocking the moon out of orbit and sending it, as well as the 311 inhabitants of Moon Base Alpha, hurtling uncontrollably into space. Space 1999 was the last production by the partnership of Gary and Sylvia Anderson and was the most expensive series produced by British television up to that time. The first series was co-produced by ITC Entertainment and Italian broadcaster RAL, while the second series was produced solely by ITC. In our first episode, we have Power Records basically did a, a short adaptation of the very first episode, which is called Breakaway. So, here is... Power Records with Space 1999 and Breakaway. on Moon Base Alpha. Preparations for a manned probe of the recently discovered planet Meta are almost complete. The new commander of Alpha, John Koenig, is getting some last-minute information from the head of the Space Commission, calling from Earth. How do you like this, John? The first close-up shot of the planet Meta, taken from the unmanned Space Bearer 9, just in. It has atmosphere. Not only that, we're receiving signals loud and clear. The planet Meta could be supporting life as we know it. We must make a manned landing. Nothing must stop us, John. Nothing. Well, John, good to see you again. Professor Bergman. Victor, still here. Yes, um, I got caught. Listen, John, things are far more serious than I suspect you've been told. People are dying up here. The virus infection? Well, Dr. Russell doesn't believe it is a virus. Looks very much like the effects of radiation, but I am uh, But what? There is no radiation. Look, Victor, you know me well enough to know that I'm not going to ignore the fact that people have been dying up here. But the space launch of the century must not be allowed to slip through our fingers. That planet is passing just close enough to make a landing. This medical problem must be solved. There's no margin for error. Dr. Russell has some ideas worth listening to. Why don't you talk to her, John? Commander, our ninth man died this morning. One moment he's fine. The next, he had lost all control. Look at this thermographic plate. A malignancy erupts, and there's immediate disorientation of the kind that's classic in radiation attacks. I understand, Doctor. You've had 11 cases so far. Nine deaths. But all nine who died were workers in nuclear disposal area, too. The two astronauts with the same illness never went near that site. It's inconsistent. There's another inconsistency. There is no radiation in area, two. What about the backup crew? Are they medically clear to fly this mission? They appear to be, 
but they've lived the same lives, been through the same training as the critically ill probe astronauts. I can't guarantee that they won't be affected three days or three months out in deep space. Dr. Russell, the two astronauts, come quick. Well, Doctor? It's over. They're both gone. If it's the last thing I do, I'll find out why those two men died. Paul, I'm going to recheck the radiation levels of Area 2 myself. Get an eagle ready. I'll need two volunteers. Yes, sir. I want Area 2, Collins, not 1. That's where we're going, Commander. We just use Area 1 as a turning point. Navigation beacon Delta. It's a, it's a landmark. Hmm. Area 1. This was the first nuclear waste area up here. Has it been used since I left Victor? No, John, they've moved on to Area 2. This one hasn't been used for five years. How's it holding up? All right, according to reports. Uh, constantly monitored, no radiation. All right, Collins, let's move on to Area 2. Landing at Area 2, Collins and Jackson go out on foot to check the radiation levels, while Koenig and Professor Bergman stay in the area monitoring depot. Point one, check complete. Radiation normal, no leakage. We're going on to point 48. All right, Jackson. Section by section, the two men check every part of Area 2. Commander, point 48, check complete. Radiation normal. That's it, sir. All okay out here. All right, Jackson. Thanks. Get out of there as fast as you can. That seems to prove that the radiation can't hurt within safe limits. Whatever killed our men was not radiation. Seems not. Commander, I've got to get out of here. All right, Collins. We're leaving soon. No, no, no! Got to get out! Stop him! He'll kill us all! Collins suddenly goes berserk, but after a brief but fierce struggle, is overpowered. On returning to Alpha on the light side of the moon, Koenig asks for the flight records of the dead astronauts. I checked the flight record as you asked, Commander. Listen to this. There's a two-minute blank out on the flight recorder over navigation beacon Delta, Area 1. That's where Collins took us on our way to Area 2. Does he always fly that route? Five or six times a week. And the probe astronauts? Made their training flights on the dark side of the moon in that general area regularly. Commander? Yes, Sandra? There's a steep rise in heat level disposal Area 1. All indications show that the radiation level is normal, but the heat continues to rise. Heat without radiation, without atomic activity. Uh, put Area 1 on the screen, Paul. Yes, sir. Look at that. Lightning, surface fires. Victor, any ideas? As a matter of fact, yes, John. I I've been looking at this monitoring device from the old Area 1. It was used to record the magnetic output of the artificial gravity system out there. When the area was closed down, it had nothing to record. But now, look at it. A 20-fold increase in the magnetic field. We've been obsessed with radiation. Wrong. What we are facing is a new effect. Magnetic energy outputs of unprecedented violence, arising from the atomic waste deposited on the dark side of the moon over the years. Magnetic energy responsible for the flare-up that's Area 1. Magnetic energy causing brain damage and bringing death to 11 men. The probe astronauts went over there daily, as did Collins in the shuttle. Then we've all been exposed to it, since we've all been to Area 2, and to get there, we had to pass over Area 1. There could be a cumulative effect that could... There's even a bigger problem. Area 1 burnt itself out in a huge magnetic subsurface firestorm. What if the same thing happens in Area 2? Paul, let's get an eagle out there immediately to monitor magnetic levels. 
I won't be responsible for any more men out on the surface in these conditions. Neither will I. We'll do it by remote control and follow it on the screen. Radiation normal, magnetic field zero. Okay, Paul, she's approaching area two. Sit her down. Easy does it. Look, she's going out of control. Blast her out of it, Paul. No use, Commander. She doesn't respond. She's gonna crash. Look at the reading. A tremendous magnetic surge. It could trigger an atomic explosion. Paul, contact Commissioner Simmons on Earth. Emergency code Alpha One. Yes, sir. You were right, Doctor. It was radiation. Magnetic radiation. And now we're sitting on the biggest bomb man ever made. Simmons here. What's the trouble? The heat rise in Area 1 we reported to you has spread to Area 2, which contains 140 times the amount of waste as Area 1. With quantities like that, there could be a chain reaction. Well, what's to be done? We can try to break the pile apart, rip up the rods, destroy the mass. By dispersing it over a wide area, we might prevent that. Good. Do it. First six eagles are moving into the area now, Commander. All right, Paul. Let's see it on the screen. Uma, I want central computer updated with everything possible, constantly. Well, we're getting some of the containers moved. Number 26, dispersed to grid 9. Dispersed to grid 9. How does it look, Paul? We've had navigational failures on two of the ships. They've returned for replacement. That means the magnetic field is probably expanding. Tell the others to increase altitude. Right. Main mission to all eagles, increase altitude. Captain Carter. Yes, sir. Carter, do you have an extra ship available? No, sir, they're all committed. Then take Eagle One into orbit. Report how things look from there. Right. Sandra, what are the readings? Heat level holding, magnetic field fluctuating. That's what worries me. What are the chances of getting it under control, Victor? Too early to tell. Eagle One to Alpha. Go ahead, One. Liftoff complete. Trajectory computed and programmed. We'll be in orbit in two minutes. Okay, Alan. Levels seem to be holding. If only they can... Commander! It's going up! Abort the mission. Main mission to all Eagles. Return to base immediately. Repeat, return to base immediately. Suddenly, all aboard Alpha Moon Base are hurled to the floor and held there as though pinned down by a huge, invisible hand. I can't move. G-forces, we're moving. The moon is moving. Alpha, can you hear me? This is Carter and Eagle One. Do you copy? Alpha, I'm not receiving. Maybe you're receiving me. The moon is going out of orbit. It's moving away from Earth. Carter, I read you. Can you hear me? Commander, thank God you're okay. What's happening down there? We've got preventive G-forces. Can hardly move. But we seem to be decelerating. Down to three Gs now. Yes, we're compensating. You see, the whole waste disposal area has been acting like a gigantic rocket motor, pushing us out of orbit. But if it has stopped fissioning, we shan't be accelerating anymore. Carter, did you hear that? Yeah, loud and clear. Can you make it back to the base? Yeah, I can make it. I'm closing now. I can make it. Good, Captain. Morrow, check around the base. This is main mission. All sections report. Security section, we have audio contact. Video system's gone. Service section, lost all power. Operating on emergency systems. Medical section poor. Explosive decompression in two compartments. Area sealed off. No leaks. Sufficiently operative to accept casualties. Hmm. The big question now is, can we make it back to Earth? Uma, consult the master computer. I want a readout on contingency plan Exodus. Yes, sir. 
Emergency Operation Exodus Indefinite Patterns. One, moon on unknown trajectory. Two, constantly changing G-forces due to movement away from Earth. Three, insufficient data to compute flight plan. Human decision required. Attention, all sections. Alpha, this is Commander John Koenig. As you know, the moon has been blasted out of orbit, and we have been completely cut off from Earth. We have power, environment, and therefore the possibility of survival. If we should try to return to Earth without full resources, I believe we would fail. Therefore, it is my judgment we do not try. Paul, what about our communications with Earth? Any chance of restoring contact? Very little, sir. We've lost all direct communication. All I can get is this video report being broadcast on Earth. Put it up on the big screen. The totally unforeseen accident on the lunar surface has caused very serious repercussions here on Earth. Due to gravity disruption, there have been violent earthquakes in the United States, Yugoslavia, and southern France, with enormous damage to life and property. The International Lunar Commission holds out little hope for the rescue of the 311 men and women on Moon Base Alpha. The moon's acceleration away from Earth has put it beyond the reach of any... Paul, scan all frequencies for any signal from any planet. Paul! There's a picture coming in. There, hold that. It's the planet Meter. Meter. Maybe that's where our future lies. September 13th, 1999. Meter signals increasing. Yes, maybe there. Power Records put out seven stories of Space 1999. One of them was actually adapted from the pilot, which was also called Breakaway, which is the story you just heard. For our second story, we have Death's Other Dominion. Hope you like it. Space, 1999. We are in a communication center housed in a cave of ice beneath the surface of a frozen, mist-shrouded planet somewhere in space. Dr. Cabot Rowland, dressed in fur, sits before the computer studying a printout. Fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. <laughs> Say, I was right. Admit Jack Tanner did tell you, did prophesy long before you heard from that eyeless instrument. Yes, Jack, you were absolutely right. But tell me, tell me sensibly how you could foretell that a heavenly body like Earth's moon was approaching our planet. Not like it. It is the Earth's moon, that self-same orb whose unforgiving eye beheld the birth of Caesar and no doubt your own. Noting Rowland's skepticism, Tanner angrily presses buttons, activating the main viewing screen. By heaven, Jack, you are right. That is our moon, the Earth moon. We've got to contact them. While in main mission aboard Moonbase Alpha, Captain Koenig is listening to a report on the strange planet he is observing on their screen. Codenamed Ice Planet. 
Has atmosphere, but temperature drops to 200 degrees below zero. Sounds like a marvelous cold storage plant. Commander, I have a signal from the ice planet, a human voice. Hello out there. Hello, Alphans. We have a life here, a long life that you could share. A long lane and no turning. Ultima Thule is a lost paradise. Come lost with no final end. Stay away, stay away. Strange invitation, I must say. What do you think, John? What do I think? Ultima Thule, here we come. Soon, Eagle One, with Koenig, Bergman, Helena, and Carter aboard, lands on the forbidding new world. Remember, if you get lost, the Comlock locator beam will bring you back to the Eagle, okay? Right. Let's go. At that moment, in the ice palace beneath the surface, half-mad Jack Tanner, head lifted high, bays like a wolfhound. Be quiet, Jack. I am the dog that bays the moon who sets her cats among your pigeons, Doctor. Another prophecy? Merely an inclination of my ear in the right direction. Observe. He turns a switch on a panel. They've come! They've come! Rowland jumps to the console and calls. Elphins! Elphins! Go home! Elphins! Elphins! Dr. Rowland here! Go home! Go home! Go home! On the surface, the Elphins stop on a signal from Koenig. A voice! I heard it! Listen! Men of Alpha, do you hear? Yes, yes, we hear you. Where are you? My pathfinder indicates this spot is where their signal came from. But there's nothing here. They know we're here, but it looks like it's going to be hard for us to find them. I say we go back to the Eagle and let them find us. Amen to that. Anything to get out of this cold. As they start back, there is a sudden blast of wind and snow. When the wind dies down, Koenig looks around. Victor! Where's Helena? And, and Carter? They've disappeared. Helena! Helena! Carter! But neither answers. Helena, near total exhaustion after an eternity of stumbling through the bitter cold and approaching darkness, collapses just as Dr. Rowland emerges from the shadows and catches her in his arms. Here's one of them. Ted, give me a hand. Good. Now, where are the others? Hello! Hello! A scant few yards away, Koenig, half-carrying, half-dragging the nearly unconscious Bergman, hears a voice. Victor, you hear that? Help is here. Hello? Hello? Well, there you are. Thank God. Koenig, Bergman, and Helena are taken inside a vast dome-like cavern made of ice bricks, stalagmites, and stalactites. This is the ice palace. At its heart, a great glowing fireplace of crystals. Rowland's voice bellows through the huge room. Come on, everyone! Beds, warmth, and hot toddy for our guests. And the seven men and seven women inside quickly tend to the needs of the new arrivals. Koenig is the first to revive. Helena, where is she? Right over there. Bergman? He's safe, too. Carter, where's Carter? Carter? I didn't know there was another... He's still out there. I must find him. No, not you. We'll do it. Ted. Take every man. Search for this fourth alpha to the limit of your endurance. Meanwhile, Carter, alone in the unmercifully cold Thulean night, stumbles, falls, crawls forward, till suddenly he touches something solid, metallic. The eagle. The eagle. Stumbling up the ramp, he collapses just as the door closes behind him. 
Later in the ice palace, Helena and Bergman have awakened and are listening to Rowland in amazement. The planet is Ultima Thule. Our people are from Earth, survivors of the Uranus expedition of 1986. The last we heard of the Uranus probe was Jack Tanner's report that the ship was breaking up in a proton storm. And that was some 13 years ago. Oh, the ship did go out of control. We traveled at unbelievable speed to the farthest limit of the then-known universe and beyond. Finally, crash landing here. We were... Ah, the search party is back. What luck, Ted? No luck. Carter doesn't have a chance out there. And we'll search again by daylight. Though regretfully, I must say, it looks hopeless. Just before dawn, with everyone else in the ice palace still asleep, Rowland slips into the communications room. Turning on a switch, he hears... Main mission calling Eagle One. You must lift off immediately. Icing conditions are worsening. Come in, Eagle One. Alpha calling. Rowland reaches into the panel, deliberately shorts a circuit. And Morrow's calling goes dead. He quickly closes the panel, turns at the sound of footsteps, and sees Koenig approaching. We must speak to Alpha. I've been trying to reach them. Listen. Hello, Alpha. This is Ultima Thule. Do you copy? You see? Perhaps it'll clear later. Then we must get to the Eagle. Maybe we can contact them from there. Come on. Rowland is leading Koenig and a group of fur-clad Thulians on a search for the Eagle, when suddenly... Listen! The Eagle! Then Carter made it. He's all right. There it is. It's taking off. Alan! Alan! Stop! We're alive! Thank heavens he's safe. Yes, but the moon will be in range of this planet for only five more days. We have to let Alpha know we're alive. Alive? Commander Koenig, you haven't begun to live yet. Come. Back in the ice palace, the Alphans listen spellbound as Rowland explains. We have lived here for 870 years. 870 years? Yes, John. The computer says it's the year 2870. Either they or we have been through some kind of time walk. As a result of over 800 years of experimentation, I am now close to unlocking the secret of immortality. Immortality? Ladies and gentlemen, who'll make the first bid for Dr. Rowland's magic elixir? Do I hear one million souls? Two! Don't mind him. Come with me. I have something to show you. Rowland leads them to a small balcony, looking down on a vast underground cave. And there, in the center of the cave... A spaceship! Almost completed. Phoenix, rising from the ashes of the Uranus probe. With this ship and the secret of immortality, we shall leap from planet to planet, from solar system to solar system, from galaxy to galaxy. We shall be gods in the universe. All that is needed now is that you join me in one final experiment. Then together, all of us, you and all the people on Alpha, will step forward into the greatest scientific adventure in the history of man. As Rowland leads them back toward the ice palace, Tanner grips Koenig by the arm and leads him in another direction. I see a hungry mind. I'll feed it on wormwood and gall. This place, it's a duplicate of the ice palace. Our cave of the revered ones, behold. Our honored living dead. He points at four men and three women in seemingly perfect health, eyes open but unseen, living vegetables. Friends of bygone days who've given their all for science and Dr. Rowland. Ghastly. Unbelievable. 
Why haven't you stopped him? We are scientists. We all wanted the answer to the ultimate question. As commander of the probe, I submitted myself for the first experiment. But I was luckier than they were. You were here? A long time. Then I regained what we wittily call my mind. The good doctor deplores its erraticism, but envies my new psychic abilities. Right now, you're as sane as I am. And right now, the doctor prepares this final great experiment. They race back to the Ice Palace laboratory section just in time to pull Bergman out of an experimental chamber. But John, Dr. Rowland described the experiment as a development of epsilon ray analysis. I believe it is perfectly safe. And as a doctor, I see this as the greatest medical challenge man can face. The conquest of death is the ultimate fulfillment of a doctor's Hippocratic oath. We can't leave it now. Momentarily defeated, Koenig leaves. Entering the communications room, he finds Tanner examining the circuitry. Strange, don't you think, that your people should suffer your loss in silence? Meaning what? Meaning that there's more here than meets the ear. Look, a burnt circuit. That's no accident. Here, I'll replace it. He presses a row of switches. The panel lights up, and then he presses a key. Hello, Alpha. Hello, Alpha. Main mission here. Commander, is it really you? Yes, Paul. We're alive. And there is life here. People from Earth. Fantastic. Carter made it back, and he and Dr. Matthias are in Eagle 2 right now on a return trip to Thule. I'll pass the word. Carter and Matthias arrive at the Ice Palace and stare in wonder at the scene that greets them. The food, the warm fire, and the beautiful Thulean women. All this in Live Forever? When do we move in, Commander? This is no time for jokes, Alan. We have a vital decision to make. Why not vote on it? Those who wish can come. Those who do not can stay on Alpha. That's reasonable, John. A democratic choice. No. Alpha cannot function without a great many trained people to operate it. We must all go or all stay. As commander, I will abide by a majority decision. But the Alphans must be given all the facts. I shall go personally and tell them about the Thulean way of life. Jack, will you come? No, 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 I shan't go. Nor should you, Dr. Rowland. By all disheveled wandering stars, I swear to you, death has dominion. Aboard Eagle 2, heading back to Alpha Moon Base, Koenig speaks to Carter. Can I count on you for support, Alan? Most times, yes, you know that. But this, Commander, I just don't see the problem. Suddenly, from the passenger module... <coughs> Commander, come quick! Rushing to the door, Koenig stares in horror at the abominable sight that greets his eyes. Good Lord! Rowland has turned into a shrunken, dripping corpse. And caught in his skeleton of a hand is Helena's hand. Back at last in main mission, Koenig and the others listen to the voice of Jack Tanner as they watch the ice planet on the big screen floating away in space. Well, Commander, not to be outdone, we on Thule have also cast our votes. What have you decided? We are abandoning the search for eternal life and are turning our minds and resources to the problem of restoring the revered one. We pray for your success. Jack, you're fading fast. Goodbye, and thank you. I wonder, in the end, can it be death that gives meaning to life? If there is an end. Our final story for this podcast 
is called Mission of the Darians. I'll be back after it with a final word. The year 1999. The place, the moon. We are in main mission, control room of Alpha Moon Base, as Earth's great satellite blasted out of orbit by a tremendous explosion of nuclear waste materials buried beneath its surface. Rockets through space on a journey into the unknown. On the big screen, an alien spaceship. Look at that. 50 miles long, two miles wide. A hundred square miles of ship. She's sending out some kind of signal. A computer report ready, Kano? Yes, sir. A signal decoded. It seems to be a recorded message. Emergency. Emergency. This is the commander of the spaceship, Daria. A major catastrophe has occurred. Large areas of our ship are devastated. Thousands of our people are dead. We who survive will perish without urgent medical and material aid. Emergency. Emergency. This is the commander of the spaceship, Daria. A major catastrophe... Commander Koenig. What is it, Morrow? We're picking up life signs. What do you think, Dr. Russell? It may not be too late, John. Victor? I agree. Okay, we'll need a team. Morrow, you assess material damage. Victor, scientific. Helena, medical. Security, Lowry. Carter, get Eagle One ready for immediate launching. As the Eagle moves alongside the alien ship, it passes one of several pod-like constructions connected by long, transparent cylinders to the main structure. Suddenly, the pod glows and the eagle shudders, loses velocity and is drawn inside, coming to rest in an airlock in a vast area, showing signs of damage to the overhead structure. Well, at least the computer can still function. What have we got, Victor? Breathable atmosphere outside, a power source somewhere. What cut off our communications? Radiation distortion. Radiation? Yes, Helena. The ship is saturated with atomic radiation, but it's too weak to harm us. Anything living here? I'm getting life signs. There is life somewhere on this ship. Okay, let's find it. Walking out of the Eagle into the airlock, they see two corridors going off at an angle to each other. One clear, the other cluttered with debris. These corridors are bound to connect with the main areas of the ship. Paul, you and Alan take that one. Right. Victor, you and I will take this one. Right. Helena, you and Lowry stay back here close to the Eagle. If we can't make contact with the Darians, we'll rendezvous back at 1600. As the two search parties disappear into the corridors, Helena and Lowry discover a hidden third corridor and decide to investigate. Looks much shorter than the others. I uh, wonder what's around that corner. Let's take a look. I don't know. Uh, we're supposed to... Wait, what's that? Suddenly, two figures, no larger than children, come running around the corner and stop short at the sight of Helena and Lowry. They are mutes, one male, the other female. They keep looking back over their shoulder, their eyes bulging with fear. What is it? What's the matter? They're mutes. Can't talk and scared to death of whoever's making that noise. As the sound of the pursuers comes closer, the female mute whimpers and runs forward to fall at Lowry's feet. The male mute dashes past them into the airlock where the eagle rests. Uh-oh, trouble. They're humanoids. Six of them. Yeah, but look at them. 
like out of the Stone Age. Dr. Russell, move back slowly, then break for it. Okay. But as they move, the six aliens, led by one called Hadim, charge forward. Helena, Lowry, and the Muta quickly subdued and taken back to the ship settlement area, once a vast hydroponic garden. Now the home of these people, known as the survivors. Hadin speaks. Call the old one. Now what? Look, that old man. Like some kind of priest. They're making a circle around him. And they've dragged the mute out to him. The old man looks at the female mute, runs his hand over her face, draws in his breath and shouts, Mute! As the crowd roars, two survivors rush in, grab the mute and drag her over to a sort of shrine at the edge of the clearing. On the wall behind them is a large portrait. Below the portrait is a man-sized cavity with transparent doors. They're putting her in that hole in the wall. And locking the doors. She's sealed in. Suddenly, a survivor beside a control panel nearby at a signal from Hadeen presses a button. The sealed cavity glows with intense light and the body of the mute evaporates. Good Lord! Like a pagan sacrifice. A sacrifice to that... that portrait. Like it's a god. Hadin points at Lowry. No! And two survivors seize him and drag him in front of the old man. Running his hand over Lowry's face and arms, he takes one of Lowry's hands in his. Suddenly he stops as he discovers a joint in his index finger is missing. Mute! Horrified, Helena watches as Lowry is sealed in. The button is pressed and the cavity glows with a light of death. the fate of Helena and Lowry, Commander John Koenig and Professor Victor Bergman, his science advisor, walk down the corridor toward the interior. Approaching an intersection, they stop as they hear someone coming. I think we've got company. Koenig draws his laser gun and cautiously they move forward. Suddenly they are blinded by two beams of light. Please, turn off the lights. We are friends. We've come to help. Ah, that's better. Hmm, just two of them dressed in radiation suits. My name is John Koenig, commander of Alpha Moonbase. This is my science advisor, Victor. Before he can finish the sentence, the two figures suddenly fire their laser weapons. Koenig and Bergman crumble to the floor and are carried off. Koenig awakens later to find himself in a rest area and sees a woman looking at him. Who are you? I am Kara, director of reconstruction on this ship. We heard your signal and came to help, and you attack us. We had to be sure of your intentions, and now we know. As for that signal, it was automatically triggered when one of our nuclear reactors exploded more than 900 years ago, devastating most of the ship. We are unable to cut it off. 900 years? Only this small area of the ship was shielded. Out of 50,000 Darians, only 14 of us survived. But come, you will meet our commander and learn more. Where is my friend Bergman? He is all right. We will take him with us. Soon, they are in the command center. Welcome, Commander Koenig. You too, Professor Bergman. I am Niemann, commander of this ship. Have you found the rest of my people? Patience, Commander. We are few, and as you have seen, the ship is large. But we will find them. I shall personally supervise the search. Thank you. Commander, has it occurred to you how similar our situations are? This ship, your moon, both of us victims of an unfortunate disaster. Yes, I know. But what you don't know is our mission. Your mission? You may recall a ship from your own Earth history, a ship in which the life of a doomed world was preserved. You mean the Ark? Yes. 
This ship has a similar function, to preserve the life and skills of our Darian race. You see, our planet Daria no longer exists. We who set out on this voyage were the last of our race. Is it not true that your own planet Earth may also no longer exist? It's possible. And your community may be all that is left of Earth civilization? That too is possible. Then join us. We are coming to the end of a thousand-year voyage. Our main drive is undamaged, and the ship is programmed to reach our destination, a virgin planet where the dying civilization can begin again. Share our future on the new world. Meanwhile, Paul Morrow and Alan Carter, the other two members of the Alphan party, reach a dead end of wreckage and debris in their corridor and turn back. Finding Helena and Lowry gone, they discover the frightened male mute hiding in the eagle and convince him to lead them to the settlement of the survivors. They arrive just in time to see Lowry sealed in and disintegrated. Too late to help him. Poor Lowry. I hope Dr. Russell... Look, there she is. That old man in front of her, running his hands over her face, her arms. He's turning to the crowd. He's going to speak. Queer! They're taking her over to that shrine, putting some kind of ceremonial robe on her. The old man's walked over to her. Looks like he's going to pray or something. Here in the sacred shrine of knowledge, we dedicate this perfect body and maintain that she is free of the mute whom we abhor in all his manifestations. I don't like the sound of this. And this we pledge in the sacred book of Neman, maker of men, father of spirits. To you, Neman, we, the survivors, pledge this offering. Adin, their leader, walks to the wall, presses a button and a door opens through which walk two Darians encased in grotesque radiation suits. They're pulling Dr. Russell toward that door. Okay, let's go. Set lasers on stun. Charging into the group of survivors, Carter and Morrow dash out to rescue Helena. Alan! Paul! Fighting against hopeless odds, Carter drops one of the Darians, but is himself brought down. The other Darian goes through the door, dragging Helena with him. Morrow gets through the door just before it closes, but Helena and her captor had disappeared. Meanwhile, in a computer room somewhere in the area ahead, Koenig and Bergman study data sheets from the Darien computers. I think I've located the airlock mechanism. We should be able to fix it for controlled entry and exit. Victor, what's wrong? I think I've discovered how the Darians have kept themselves alive for nine centuries. I wondered about that. They seem as human as we are. Their food requirements are the same as ours, but this list of their resources shows no basic proteins, no amino acids or trace elements, no enzyme variants. They can't support life on these. Have you checked the recycling plant? Yes, every one of these essential elements is present and they're being constantly renewed. But if they have no reserves on the ship, how? There is only one possible source human bodies. Walking out into the corridor on their way to confront Kara with this terrible discovery, they are surprised and delighted to see Morrow. Paul, you're safe. But where's Helena? They've captured her. I've been following them but lost them. She must be around here somewhere. And Lowry? Carter? Lowry's dead. I don't know about Carter. Morrow tells them about the events in the survivor's settlement. The survivors? So that's where they get their basic elements. That disintegrator must be part of their recycling system. Come on, we've got to get Dr. Russell. Walking back to the command center, they see Kara. Koenig grabs her, clamping his hand over her mouth. Listen carefully, Kara. We know how you have used those people out there. 
But now you have taken one of our people, a woman. Tell us where she is, or we'll take this place apart. Kara leads them to a room that looks like a cross between an operating room and a morgue. Look at those bodies, four of them. On mortuary tables. Commander, look over there on that table, Dr. Russell. They see Helena strapped down, wires attached to her unconscious form. Kara, if you've harmed her... Let me go. I can still save her. Kara rushes forward, presses a switch on a panel at the side of the bed, and a green light flashes on. She will be all right. Oh. Helena, are you all right? I... I think so. Where am I? Yes, Kara. What is this place? We Darians are sterile. Ever since the catastrophe, we have had to prolong life by artificial means. Transplant surgery? This is a transplant room. So that's how you prolong life. And was this the future you had in mind for us? Yes! Neiman! Neiman and another Darian stand in the doorway with drawn weapons. You think we wanted these procedures just for ourselves? Transplants? Recycling of human bodies? Our mission is to survive the voyage, not for ourselves, but for the Darian gene bank. Gene bank? Containing the undamaged genetic material of our race. With it, we can build up our race again. Pure, healthy Darians. For the last time, I ask you, John Koenig, join us. No way. Then we have no alternative but to... Neiman, Neiman, Hadin and his survivors, they have broken into the command center. The command center? Led by one of the Earth people. Must be Carter. He made it. When Morrow last saw Carter, Alan was lying unconscious near one of the two Darians who had come for Helena. On awakening, he seizes the Darian's gun, makes him admit the Darians were just people, and that Neiman, whose portrait hung over their shrine, was no god. He then forced the Darian to lead them all to the command center. There it is, Hadin, the home of the false spirits. As the survivors overwhelm the few remaining Darians, Hadin looks at the precious Darian gene bank. He picks it up just as Neiman rushes in. No, no, put that down! Neiman rushes over to take the panel of glistening clusters of fibrous materials from Hadin. Not recognizing his attacker, Hadin lifts the gene bank and brings it crashing down on Neiman's head. As the gene bank shatters over the dead body of the Darian commander, Hadin suddenly recognizes the face of his former god. At the sight of their dead god, the other survivors start to flee in terror. Wait! They stop at the sound of Koenig's voice. Listen to me. You can't run anymore. If you are to have any future, you must learn to live together. Help each other. With Neiman dead, what future do I have? These people, the survivors, are your future, Kara. You and Hadin, working together, can prepare them to survive the voyage. We will help. The rest is up to you, both of you. Main mission, Eagle One here. We're coming in. Main mission here. Good to hear from you again, Eagle One. What happened? Remind me to tell you sometime. Do you think they'll make it, John? From the way Hardeen and Coward looked at each other, Victor, I think they will. Commander? Yes, Carter. If the same thing happened on Alpha, would you have chosen differently? Let's hope I never have to make that choice.
that's going to wrap it up for this episode. We appreciate you stopping by and listening in with us here on the couch, and we hope you'll keep coming back. If you enjoyed this episode, please check out some of the other episodes we have to offer, as well as new episodes, which are uploaded every Monday and Wednesday. We are listener-supported, as we have always been by you, the listeners. We thank you all for your support. This coming Wednesday will be the conclusion of a good many things. It will be the conclusion of Power Records slash Sci-Fi Month, the end of Space 1999. Uh, It will be the end of the month in totem. So we have some things planned for next week. Um, Please check us out on Wednesday and hopefully we'll have some more details for you then. This has been Couch and Coffee Table. Until next time, be good to yourself.